Hey, let's pray together. Lord, that's what we want to do in this moment. That's what we are doing. We're joining with all creation in praising you, our great God, our creator, father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the reigning king and the giver of the spirit who empowers our new lives. We're so grateful to be together this morning. You've gathered us and you haven't gathered us for no reason. You've gathered us to fill us with joy, to remind us of of what's true and to cheer each other on in this great race of faith. We're so thankful. And as has been reflected upon this morning, thank you for this space that we have. We're driven out of one place, but we have a, another wonderful, cool, cool room in which to be together and to worship you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. Hey, I have a question for you. What is it with wild animals these days? Are you following this? Have you heard about what's going on with killer whales? Any of you heard about this? Some of you have. Many of you haven't. Uh, I just learned this last week. Uh, It's actually been all over the news. Not sure how I missed it. But there has been a huge spike in orca attacks on boats. Have you heard this? This is true. This is actually happening. Uh, Killer whales are going full Moby Dick. And they are ramming boats. And in some cases, even biting off their rudders. And in some cases, even sinking them. This is absolutely true. It's happening. And there have been over 500 of these attacks since 2020. And they are spreading. It's true. So friends, in case you're thinking about it, please don't free Willie. Okay? (laughs) Not right now. At least if you have a cruise booked. Okay? You don't want to do that. But it's actually uh, not just marine animals. It's land animals too, uh, especially bears. Uh, Several months ago, I told you about the uh, sort of scary encounter the Seitz family had with a mama bear and her cubs in the cabin that we rented in Tahoe in the middle of the night. But check out this crazy picture. This is just from two weeks ago in uh, Colorado. As you'll see, it is a bear hanging from a window, a second floor window. He is spider bear. Uh, you can see it. And the video that I saw uh, was taken by some kids in the house next door. And the kids are giggling. They're laughing about this. And I'm thinking, what are you laughing about? That could be your window next. Um, but anyway. Well, what has uh, animals gone wilder, you could say, have to do with this morning's message? Uh, you're going to have to hold on. But you're going to see. Our passage today comes from 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Uh, We're in week 14 of our He Became Us series. You've got your Bible with you. Uh, I recommend open to 1 John right now. You can follow along as we go. And you can also find the passage at the top of your message notes. Starting at verse 7, it says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. 
He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is God's word for us. If you were here three weeks ago uh, for a message called Weir's Jacks, you will remember that we talked about LLDL. Anyone remember what LLDL is? Oh, hillside. Life laid down love. I was about to say, I have everybody notes, I'm complimented because somebody remembered, nobody remembered. You'll remember next time. Life laid down love. And this is the kind of love which First John says, we Jesus followers, meaning uh, we his beloved and his forgiven and his holy spiritized brothers and sisters are to show one another in the church right here at Hillside Covenant Church. We got this idea straight from chapter 3, verse 16, which says this, listen. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Well, we learned in that Where's Jack message that LLDL, life laid down love, takes different forms. I mean, its most basic form is helping each other practically helping each other with our practical needs, food and shelter, maybe helping each other with a big move. Another form of LLDL that we talked about during that message uh, is spiritual shepherding. And with spiritual shepherding, we come alongside each other and and we help each other move forward in the great Christ-like quest, which is our lives as Christians. Well, in this morning's passage, uh, John goes back to LLDL. And of course, if you've been in this series, you that won't surprise you, right? Because one thing we know about John is that he, he never really closes a file. He never really comes to the end of an idea. They keep circling back. So he's back to LLDL. So for this time, he goes deeper into it. He goes to the very heart of it. He explains its supreme form. And that's what this message is all about, the supreme form of LLDL. Listen to these verses again, starting at verse 10. He says, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Well, what's John saying here? It's actually something that he's already said back in 3.16, but it's something that we believers, whom God has placed together in this church at Hillside, something that we cannot hear too many times. And what he's saying is that as God in Christ has loved us, as God has done this, so are we here at Hillside to love one another. So again, he's saying in our passage what he's already said, 3.16, he says, As God in Christ has loved us, as he did it in that style, so are we 
to love one another. But he's the pattern for the love that we're supposed to show one another, not just in the abstract, but right here in this church family. Well, that makes us ask this question. I mean, how exactly did God in Christ love us? What was the exact shape of it? And in verses 9 through 10, John says, by sending Jesus, his only son, to make an atoning sacrifice for us. Now, that's a little bland. It's not real vivid. And so I wonder, you know, is there a new frame in which we can place that love so that the meaning of it for us today can really pop again, so it can kind of explode in our own imaginations. And I, and I think I got one for you. A few months ago, I, I read a story that I cannot forget. Maybe you heard about this. Four college friends, about 19 years old, head out for a 15-mile hike on the Bobcat Hulahan Trail just outside of Yellowstone National Park. And they're out there for fun. They're buddies. They want to enjoy the outdoors. But they're also out there to do some shed hunting. Who knows what shed hunting is? Uh, we don't have any shed hunters here. Shed hunting is going out into the wilderness and looking for antlers of big animals. And they, they can find them. They can bring them back. Uh, they can get paid big money. And they can be uh, well-kept in pizza uh, and other beverages college boys uh, drink for quite some weeks. Well, late... In the afternoon, uh, these four guys agree to split up. And two of them, Brady and Kendall, they head up the side of the mountain and go forward into the distance. And the other two guys, their buddies, Gus and Oren, head down the mountain uh, into the side. And about four o'clock in the afternoon, they're about a half mile from each other. And they're still able to basically hear the laughter uh, faintly uh, over the half mile distance. Well, Brady, again, looking for antlers, wades into this deep brush, and he steps in, and he immediately spot, uh, spots uh, a big pile of bear scat. And so he turns around, and he calls back to his friend, Kendall, to not step in this pile. And just seconds after these words leave his mouth, an adult grizzly bear explodes out of the brush and barrels into him and knocks him back 10 yards. Now, there is an adage I learned when I read about this story, and it goes this way. If you're going to be a bear, be a grizzly. Ever heard that? Grizzlies, and I quote the author here, might be the most dangerous creature on earth. Wildlife experts say that although it's impossible to know for sure how a grizzly would fare against a tiger or a hippo, the grizzly might be the number one seed in that bracket. A typical female grizzly weighs 500 pounds, stands seven feet tall. She can run 30 miles per hour and her bite can crush a bowling ball. This is what Brady's up against. Well, after knocking him senseless, this bear begins to do what bears do. It begins to maul him. Now, Brady is a tough Wyoming kid. Just think Jariah, okay? <laughs> but he does not stand a chance against this bear. Well, his buddy Kendall, who's maybe 40 feet behind him, sees this. 
and he is absolutely horrified naturally by what he sees. But but what does he do? Does he run away? Does he save his own skin? You know, he can. He can get away. Probably nobody would even know the difference. And even if they did, they wouldn't blame him. But that's not what Kendall Cummings does. Kendall Cummings bull rushes this bear. He runs to the bear. He throws himself on the bear's back. He grabs the fur behind his neck as fiercely as he can grab it. And then he yanks with both hands. This alarms the bear. The bear stands up and knocks him back 10 yards. All right. Well, with this bear now off Brady, but locked on him, Kendall bolts. Okay. Now, Kendall is fast, but he's not 30 miles per hour fast. All right. Next thing he knows, the bear's mauling him. At this point, Brady, the first kid, whose arm's got a bone sticking out of it, but is still alive. Thanks to Kendall, yells down to Gus and Oren for help. Yells bear. What do they do? Do they run away? Do they save their own skin? No, they charge up the hill to their two friends. Oren gets there first, just in time for Brady to collapse into his arms. Gus then pulls out a small pistol, not big enough to stop a bear, by the way, and goes full Rambo and runs up the hill to save his friend, Kendall. And after finding Kendall, Bleeding, barely conscious but alive, Gus, who weighs 157 pounds, fireman carries Kendall, who weighs 150 pounds, down the mountain where they call for help. Now I want you to take a deep breath. Go ahead. They all survive. They all survive. They will all recover, though not without some gnarly scars, especially Kendall. This story went viral all over the world. Incredible story of bravery, of friendship, of LLDL, life laid down love. And as I was praying and thinking about this morning's passage, that story came to mind. And as I pondered it, it occurred to me that what Kendall did for Brady, throwing himself between his friend and that bear is almost a perfect picture of what King Jesus did for us. And let me explain. You know, over and above saying that God sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, John, in this passage, doesn't really elaborate on how exactly Jesus' death accomplished that resurrection. He doesn't give us an atonement theory here in this verse. But this is interesting. One way that other New Testament writers explain the death of Jesus is this, and it's very particular. They describe it as a power of evil defeating death. In other words, ever since Adam and Eve unleashed evil into the world through their rebellion, the biblical writers understand reality to be this way. Personal cosmic evil, real evil, real forces have been preying upon human beings, menacing us, 
threatening us. Well, the biblical writers understand that evil outside, that cosmic personal evil, conspires with the evil inside our own fallen flesh to mangle us and to ruin our lives. So what did God do? Out of love, out of mercy, out of his determination to have a beautiful world where he someday would be at home, cared for by his loving family, his image bearers. What does he do? According to John, God sent his son, his only son, to do what? To stand between us and the bear of ferocious evil so that we could be defended and so that evil could be defanged and declawed. Listen to what Paul says about this. This is Colossians 2.15. Paul explains the death of Jesus in a very particular way. He says it's an act which disarmed evil. Listen to him. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, God and Christ made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And then listen to what John himself says in chapter 3, verse 8. He says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. What's the upshot? I bet you can see it. If we believers are called to love each other like Jesus the King loved us, and Jesus the King loved us by placing himself between us and the bear of cosmic evil, it follows that we're going to love each other by similarly placing ourselves between our friends and various bears. In other words, we will fight bears for our friends. You see, the ultimate form of LLDL is bear fighting. And that's your first villain. It's bear fighting. Now, I know what you're thinking. What exactly does that mean for us? How does that apply for us? Let's think it through. Let's start with the most meat and potatoes possibility. I don't think there are any high school guys here. They'll be here in the second hour. But if there were a high school guy here, this is what I want to say to you. I want you to hear this. It means that if you guys are ever hiking together in Yellowstone and an angry grizzly charges Zach Cox or Soren Considine, if that happens and Zach's bear spray won't stop it, it will be the job of Jared Grant, Cameron Hudson, Aiden Yates, Ashton Cartwright, Matthew Phillips, Josh Seitz, and Cameron Gilmore to get between your brother Zach and that bear. And maybe you think I'm kidding. I'm not. I'm being completely serious. 1 John 3.16 says, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. John 15.13, greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. That's Jesus talking. And of course, as Christians, we don't try to die for other people. We certainly don't court death. Rather, we live wisely, wearing our seatbelts, not running with scissors, <laughs> so that we have our lives in which to serve other people. But like Kendall Cummings on the Bobcat Houlihan Trail, neither do we run from it when the preservation of our friend requires it. We shouldn't spiritualize it. 
We should do exactly what Jesus is saying to do. Now, is the scenario above likely to happen? Of course not. Please don't cancel your trip to Yellowstone. I learned last week that we have a 1 in 2.7 million chance of getting injured by a grizzly. Okay? You have almost as great a chance uh, of a tree falling on you in Yellowstone National Park. So go to Yellowstone. But here's the point. The supreme form of LLDL, according to John, is bear fighting love. So the question that we need to think through is this. What are the real bears? What are the bears? Because if we're going to love like our bear fighting Lord, we got to know what they are. And I want to say, I've thought really hard about this over the last couple of weeks. Really hard. What are the bears? If the supreme form of LLDL is bare fighting love, placing ourselves like Jesus placed himself before our friends, between our friends and various kinds of evil. Well, what are the bears? What are they? And so I pitched it to my own family over dinner. And I asked my sons, Josh and Andrew, I said, you know, the Bible calls us, if necessary, to place ourselves between evil and our friends, to save them if necessary. So what are the bears? And before we finished our orange chicken, we came up with a whole list of bears, a whole bear den, and I'm going to give you three. And I'm serious about this. Here's the first one, the bear of boredom. You know, this is an unexpectedly dangerous bear. And when we see this bear stark, stalking our fellow spiritual hikers, as an act of LLDL, we should put ourselves between them and that bear. Spiritual boredom is dangerous for the Christian life. It can very quickly lead to abandonment of our quest, the quest we begin when we believe and are baptized, to walk towards the new creation, becoming more like Jesus every day. Now, sometimes that bear is not quite spiritual boredom, not quite. Sometimes what that bear is, is excessive infatuation with other things, things that steal our focus, and dole our commitment, things that actually don't even satisfy us, ultimately. Things that we just need more and more and more of. And that's why John says to us, don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. And of course, we need nuance here. John's not saying that we can take no wonder in a Grand Canyon trip or a remodeled bathroom or art and wine. But you know what we have to do? We got to be careful as hikers on the quest, that those good things don't consume us and make us blasé about the things of God and the key things of the quest, expectant prayer, spiritual companionship where we cheer each other on, and then practical service in the world like backpack drives that picture Jesus. And therefore, as believing people who are together in this church, when we see the bear of boredom stalking our fellow hikers, we ought to get between them and that bear. And we can do it in a savvy way. We can say, hey, let's shake it up a bit this year. How about if we join Alex Garcia's outreach team this year? We'll make that our team for Amazing Race 23-24. And we'll join the team that's working to maintain OTC's legacy of courageous outreach in the park. Let's do it together. Let's do it. What's the second bear? That God's word is calling us to place ourselves between us and our friends. Let me suggest this one. The bear of deception. 
Listen to 1 John 4.1. This is a sobering verse that Wayne unpacked last week. Listen to it. I mean, listen to this. He says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And get this, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Many. And of course, John's thinking about his own immediate context, right? But the same thing is true today. And students, I want to talk to you for a minute. If you're, you're a young adult or younger, at the risk of, of stating the obvious, there are many ideas swirling around the culture right now that are breathtaking in their absurdity, that are patently false. And by the way, they don't map onto any one political program. There's lots of crazy to go around. But these ideas tend to cluster around politics and justice and sexuality. And in the case of sexuality, these are ideas that nobody believed three years ago, <laughs> let alone 30. And now, suddenly, they go unchallenged in the media, and in academia, in business, even government more and more. And when I'd say to you as a younger person, you know, older people like your small group leaders, the people here at Hillside who've been called to shepherd you, to help you make forward progress in the life with Jesus, I think they can see easier than you can how crazy these ideas are. And the reason they can is, is that the reign of these ideas comprises a greater percentage of your lifeline than it does for them. So they have a little more experience. They can see how crazy some of this stuff is. And I want to say these ideas are a bear. And they're every bit as dangerous as the bear that attacked Brady. Let's take justice for a moment. You know, this is without question a indispensable Christian concern. We can't be biblical Christians and not be really, really concerned about justice. We have to. The Bible talks about justice all the time. God's Word tells us to do justice. God's Word says that God requires justice. We as Christian people need to be really concerned about what's fair and right. And we need to be especially concerned about people who are on the business end of injustice by powerful people. We take justice seriously at Hillside. We have a justice team called the Micah 6-8 team. It's important because it's biblical. Having said that, even though they overlap at certain points, there is a distinction between biblical justice, the Hebrew word sedequah, Micah 6-8 justice, and what the culture often means by social justice. They're not the same thing. And biblical justice, which includes caring for the poor, it's right at the center of it and protecting vulnerable people from violence, right at the center of it, and even-handed administration of the law, fair handling of the law. It's grounded in a, in a deep biblical idea. The idea is this. Every human being has dignity as a responsible moral agent because God created him or her with a conscience and capacity for choice. And this is because every human being has been made by God, and every single human being, the Bible says, we're going to talk about this next week, every single human being will someday stand before God's judgment seat for an evaluation. Nobody is exempt, regardless of their starting point. 
This is fundamental to biblical justice. Now, why do I bring up these crazy ideas that are running roughshod in our culture? Here's why, especially you younger people, if you get captured by them, which can happen very easily unless you're vigilant, the most basic ideas about Christianity, the substructure of Christianity will become unbelievable for you. They don't match. And you will almost certainly abandon the Christian quest to your harm, to your harm because you were made for God. And your life happiness, your life flourishing is inextricably linked with knowing God and following God and knowing Jesus the King who says of himself, I'm the truth. And it's not just your harm that matters, it's the world's harm because you know what the world needs through you? The world needs Christ's truth and Christ's love and the world needs Christ's leadership through you. And that's why I want to say to every kid here, be a truth seeker and absolutely refuse to ever live by any lie. Never affirm anything that you don't know is true. Stay clear of ideas that are reinforced by slogans or hashtags or flags that are empty. Ideas which over and above conflicting with God's word have no basis in any wisdom tradition of the world ever, have no basis in common sense, have no basis in what your own eyes are telling you. And be willing to suffer for the truth if necessary. Trusting in Jesus who is the truth and who will carry you through. And when you see the bear of deception preying upon your fellow hikers, stand between your friend and that bear. And that brings us to our final bear, the bear of bitterness. Listen to this here. 1 John 2, 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. And I think we need to be aware that there really are spiritual forces, dark spiritual forces at work in the world. And part of what these dark spiritual forces want to do is to pit us against each other, wants to divide us wants to divide this church. That's what they're trying to do. They're working to embitter us to each other, making us want to maul each other. And you know what we should do? We should resist them as a church family in all sorts of ways, but especially by prayer. We have a prayer team here led by some passionate prayers of this church. And they're making, creating all sorts of opportunities for us to pray together, to ask for God to move in our midst, and not least of all, to keep us unified. But about bitterness and about the bear of bitterness, you know, I've thought a lot about this. And when I have become aware of bitterness in my own heart for a brother and sister in the church, you know the source of it has often been? The source of it has often been my own hurt and my own humiliation. Now, we're a family, and like any family, we're going to bruise each other from time to time. We're going to hurt each other from time to time. It's just going to happen, just like any other family. But we got to remember that it's when we're bruised, when we're shamed, that we're actually most dangerous both to ourselves and to the body. Remember the story about the orcas that we launched with? When I heard about this, I wondered about the cause, probably like you. 
Like, what's causing this? Why are they doing this? Why are they attacking boats? And when I heard the leading theory, I almost fell over. I think you will too. You know what reputable scientists think is the cause of these orca attacks? Revenge. This is true. Serious scientists have proposed, serious scientists, that the attacks began after one orca matriarch. A whale they have named White Gladys was injured by a fisherman. This is true. And since then, these scientists believe that this hurt and humiliated mama whale has been teaching this revenge behavior to other killer whales who are in turn passing it on. I wouldn't even think it's true. It sounds so crazy. But it's not a fringe theory. Not everyone is convinced, but many scientists are. What's the point? Just like orcas. Hurt people hurt people. And that's why here in this church, as brothers and sisters, as fellow disciples, you know what we need to do? We need to place ourselves between our friends and the bear of bitterness that grows from personal hurt. And that means we need to bandage each other's wounds. And we need to encourage each other. And we need to build each other up. And we need to treat each other tenderly. And we need to see and notice the good things that the people are doing around us and comment on it. So that like White Gladys, we don't go on revenge benders. Because it can happen. You know, like you, I've experienced hurt and humiliation in the church. Just like you. I've experienced hurt and humiliation in this job, just like you have in your job, right? None of us is immune. But because I've had people around me, several actually, who over my two and a half years have kind of soothed me in those moments of hurt and said things like, you're a blessing to me, and I believe in you, and even one person who's only been here a couple of years and who's been a lot of churches said, this is my favorite church. Just such sweet words. Because of people around me soothing, none of that hurt and humiliation has turned into orca rage. <laughs> we can protect each other from this bear. Here's how we sum up. You know, there are a lot of bears on this hike that we're all making together to the new creation. But here's the ones I think we should be especially wary of right now at this moment in this wonderful history that we're in. We should be really wary of the bear of boredom. We should be really wary of the bear of deception. We should be really concerned about the bear of bitterness. Really, really, really careful. And we should guard each other from those bears in all the ways God's Spirit gives us to do. You know, as we prepare for communion, let me give you some really good news. We can do this. God has already given us the capacity to bear fight for each other. We can do this. God has already done it. In fact, look back at the passage John says that the very purpose for which God sent his son was to die for us. Look, look at this, verse 9. It says, he sent his one and only son into the world, and then get this, that we might live through him. Live through him. 
living in such a way that we're wearing Jesus himself. And we talked a lot about this in our Ambassador Youth Series last winter. And in that series, there was one idea that was sort of the central one, which I hope would really sink down into your hearts, is that the gospel has a very particular goal. It has a goal, and it's more than forgiveness. And it's even more than our own relationship with God. God's, the gospel includes those benefits, our forgiveness, a, a new creation inheritance, having a relationship with God, and includes all those things, but you know what, it's more than that. God's goal transcends that. Rather, God's supreme goal in the gospel, which is the career of Jesus, everything Jesus did from his preexistence to his promise to return, everything in between, culminating in the fact that he's king right now over this world, this is his world, the goal is to empower us, to turn us into the people he imagined we would be when he made us. The goal of the gospel is to empower us as a family for the image-bearing lives that he intended for us to live when he created us. And you know what? God has, has accomplished the goal. He's done it through his son who became us and then who died for us. And because he did, because Jesus the king triumphed in his ultimate battle with the bear of cosmic evil, even bearing the scars today like he does. You know what he does? Today, in this moment right here, he offers himself to us. He says, I'm here. And I'm here for you to live through me and love through me and live a life of courage and bravery and confidence and love that's unimaginable. He's done it through his son because his son became us and then his son died for us. And so when we take communion this morning, let's do it with joy. Let's do it with gratitude. Let's remember who we are now because we're united to the king. And let's remember we have power to live through him that we never had before. Let's do it. You know, as people of the Evangelical Covenant Church, we believe that the Lord's Supper is for everyone who has put faith in Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to be a member of any church to take communion here. If you know Jesus as Lord and Savior, this meal is for you. And I'll also say, if you haven't put your faith in Jesus the King, you don't know him as Lord and Savior, you know what? Nothing keeps you right now from doing that. This is, this is your moment. You could do it. And committing to Jesus the King involves these things. It first involves believing the gospel, which means believing in Jesus and believing in his whole life, his whole career, from his preexistence with God, from eternity, all the way through his perfect life, in his death for sins on the cross, and his resurrection, and his ascension to the world's, uh, the, the God's throne, his pouring out of the Spirit, and his promise to return again. It starts there, believing in the gospel, believing in the career of Jesus. And then it involves something else. It involves giving allegiance to him, saying, King, I'm yours. I recognize you as king. I recognize you as savior. You know what? From here on out, I'm yours. I recognize you died for me to take the penalty for my sins. Now I'm yours, and my life is all wrapped up in you. You believe that, and you make that declaration of allegiance, you're a Christian. 
You belong to Jesus the King now and forever, and this meal is for you, for your joy, for your strength. So let's take a minute, let's be silent before him, and let's see Jesus the King, our host, our Lord, right here with us. He's not far, this is his world. We're his people. He loves us, he's not mad at us, he died for us. He's here to receive us and to feed us. And let's remember that scripture calls us to take this meal mindful of our brothers and sisters. This is a family meal. So as we do, let's search our hearts for anyone we need to forgive. Anyone in this room, anyone in the larger church family, anyone anywhere, we need to forgive. And if we discover the bear of bitterness or unforgiveness, let's, let's release it. Let's trust in the Spirit for the strength to let it go. Father, we are so grateful to be here in this room together as a family a group of hikers hiking together towards the new creation, which is ours. You've named us heirs of that new creation. It's an inheritance that we're anticipating. But in this age, forgiven, freed, empowered, we get to walk together. We get to learn from your son. We get to become more like him. We get to share in the work he's still doing in the world, the work of evangelism, service, of justice. And we're so thankful to have lives characterized by such drama and such dignity. Lord, we also recognize that this road is perilous because there are bears out there. We thank you, Jesus, that you fought the ultimate bear in cosmic evil. But Lord, there are still threats as we go along the way, the threats of boredom, just kind of giving up on the whole thing. Bitterness. Lord, we're aware of these things. And now we meet with you to take this meal so we can be strengthened for everything you've called us to do this week. Thank you for all you've already done through your son. You've won the battle. Now our privilege is to live into it together. Thank you so much. Lord, use this meal to remind us of the power we have belonging to you and your son. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.